everybody, and welcome to another episode of Dishes and Dimes. It has been a minute, but we are back. My name is Iman, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Sandy. Sandy, what is up? Uh, nothing much. It's been a while. Uh, I feel what like... Mean nothing much? You became a mom. <laughs> I'm doing the mother thing, but I'm back, <laughs> y'all. Um, no, it, it feels... I feel like this is deja vu. We have this conversation like constantly because we're we disappearing have and come coming up in back, life. But, life happens, you know. guys. Don't don't press us. Life happens. Don't, don't press back. us. Yeah, we're back. Uh, we're back. Excited to be back. There's been a lot going on. Uh, so there's a lot to talk about. Quite a bit to talk about. Yeah, the um, NBA just keeps happening. It's like, can you guys pause for a bit? Because like we've got stuff in life happening right now. We don't have time to pay attention to you guys 24-7, but they're like, nope, they're games. And I lose sleep because I want to watch as much as I possibly can, <laughs> which is like not that, the healthiest, but exactly. Um that and uh apparently the NBA is a soap opera that just never quits. Oh, uh, for sure. So for sure. Yeah, I think I'm still like it. mentally recovering from 175, 176. <laughs> like the fact that I like I I've never been more excited at a basketball game. I also think we should probably outlaw defense because it's fun when teams score. Um, but um, it was like just mentally still recovering from games like that. Speaking of no defense. Do we talk about the Dallas Mavericks? Is that how we should start? I don't like, wh- how do we even do a podcast at this point? It feels very, um, it feels very free. It feels foreign. Like, I don't even know how to do this. <laughs> Let's thing do anymore, it. Guys. I apologize um, in advance. Well, no, guys, it's it's family. We're all family here and we all love each other. And like, I think what we love the most about a podcast like this and what I love about most of the podcasts that I'm like, that I'm such a strong follower and supporter of is that like, it's fun to listen to because here's the thing. Every single podcast tells you, you know, the Mavericks lost to the Charlotte Hornets and blah, blah, blah. This is the score. And Luca did this. Like, we all hear that on every podcast. The ones that, like, we're fans of are, like, the ones with people that we just enjoy listening to. And I hope that, like, people enjoy listening to us because, like, I enjoy talking to you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know <laughs> all of our listeners are probably like, uh, where the hell are these people? Who are you um, I don't know. If we still have listeners, but if you're out there and you're still supporting us, we appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> it's a love. Very inconsistent. Uh, so we love y'all. Um, we really do appreciate it. But yeah, let's jump into this loop. Let's jump into it. Okay. So here, so a couple of things that we want to talk about because I think, I think to start off, there as dishes and dimes, one of the things that we we feel it important to talk about are conversations that don't happen on other podcasts, and I've been very sort of. You know, I, I felt very strongly about talking about the uh, the JJ Reddick and the Kendrick Perkins conversation because I think it's have it's happening so poorly on every other platform, and I just wish that people um, I wish people cared more when they said the things that they said because it just feels like people are saying things to say them, and there's not a lot of like thought or care behind what they're saying because just like and I will get into that in a little bit I didn't want to jump off here but I, I want to make it a point that like this is a conversation that needs to continue happening and I think this conversation is coming to its climax this week because they square off right like we're having the Jokic ball he just went against Giannis and now he's going up against Embiid his team pulls out the win against the the Milwaukee Bucks, who've just been absolutely scorching everybody, especially with Chris Middleton back in the lineup. 
And now it's they're going up against the Philadelphia 76ers, which is going to be a matchup that all eyes are on. And then the conversation is going to come back up, the J.J. Reddick and the Kendrick Perkins conversation. And I want like it to be known that that's a conversation we want to have here. So we'll save it for a little bit later because there's boring stuff to talk about, like the Dallas Mavericks and how they continuously lose. <laughs> but um, that is something that like I want to talk about because I just think it's happening so poorly everywhere else but back to the basketball because as much as this NBA is a soap opera you know basketball is still what we all are here for and you know Dallas they're not very good at it <laughs> they're not very good at the <laughs> basketballing okay they've got two of the greatest ISO scorers you know ever in the league right in, yeah. in Kyrie yeah. Irving and in Luka Doncic but it's a recipe that hasn't worked and it's a recipe that hasn't worked because their defense is still so bad, which was what their issue was all along, right? Like that's been their biggest issue. And they just lost to, can you guess what team, Sandy? <sighs> the Charlotte <laughs> Hornets, bro. Charlotte? Charlotte. That's like, that, Are... they're like the Raptors. They want to be us so bad. We have no ISO scores. <laughs> we don't have the shot making, but they want to be us. So who loses to Charlotte besides the Toronto Raptors? Like that's our calling guard. That's horrible. Like y'all have Luca and Kyrie on your team and are losing to Charlotte. You're also like, it's crunch time right now. Like these are playoff games. Something that the play-in has done is made the, the end of the season matters. So often March has just not mattered in the NBA. Like nobody cares about basketball games in March. Everyone only cares about, you know, um, college basketball. But yeah. right now, all of these games matter. Like the Raptors are fighting for their lives. The Bulls, the Hawks, the every team in the Western Conference, because they all seem to have the same record, are out here fighting for their lives. Meanwhile, the Charlotte Hornets, they don't care about making it to any postseason. They have no dreams of moving forward, and they still managed to beat the Dallas Mavericks not once, but twice, losing to them in back-to-back games. It's just like you're not you're not being serious. You're not a serious team. Whose fault do you think that is? I uh, it's I mean honestly it's roster it's construction. The- the schemes don't really work, you know, like, you know, at the end of the game, they're going to try to get Luca the ball. Teams are going to be targeting Luca, Um, and the coaching just isn't the schemes that are, are uh, put forward f- for the team. Aren't really great towards the end of the game. Yeah. On top of it, it's like, it's great to have Kyrie and Luca on a team, like in terms of beautiful um, basketball, those are the two players you want to watch. But right. if the rest of the team cannot play defense, it doesn't matter, guys. It literally doesn't. You can have the best offense. And they they pretty much do the prettiest offense in the NBA. But <laughs> you, if the rest honestly, of the team sure is standing there not playing defense, it doesn't matter guys I it, think- it really it really doesn't and it's it's so frustrating because they do have such you have Luka Doncic and here's what I'll say to your point about like it you know everyone knows that you're gonna go to Luka the, the schemes are sort of not working that's entirely correct right like we watched how many times do we watch teams just crap Luka you know late in games that's what the Raptors did in both the games that they played against the Mavericks um and they, they managed to split those although Raptors really should have pulled out both of them but you know Pascal Siakam got hurt in one of them but we we digress um and 
it's just like you trap Luca. Everybody knows what it is, and Luca's gonna, you know, still try like you try to do his Luca thing because he could still do it. But now it's like, okay, you bring in Kyrie to sort of diversify that, but it's still just going to be ISO. It's going to be one of them. But like, that's not even the biggest issue. Their biggest issue, to your point, is exactly what you were saying, which is true, is like, if you you can score all you want, if you can't stop the other team on the other end, what does it matter? And I was watching this Hornets game, and it was it was mind-boggling to me to see just like, I forget who it was. I think it was PJ Washington, who... Mm-hmm. um. Who, who I think he was a ball handler on a screen. I, I think he was a ball handler on a screen role, but it was like literally, I forget who it was. I forget who came in and set a screen. And it was like they drew out a red carpet for him straight to bat. There was absolutely no help, like, there was no weak side defense. There was no attempt to like even get in his way a little bit. THJ was just sort of watching that. And I get THJ's a small guy. What is he going to do with the man rolling to the rim? But they just have nobody there. They have no one who even cares to put their body on the line. There's just, there's no thought on the defensive end. And here's the thing. It comes down, in my opinion, to roster construction because you had Jalen Brunson last year. Jalen Brunson is playing phenomenal. The Knicks are doing incredibly well. Um, and you have him last year and you decided to give him away for nothing, which is a huge problem, which is why you need Kyrie Irving. Your defense was good last year. I'm not saying just like having Jalen Brunson is a difference maker in that regard. Like I think he has proven to just, you know, having a gritty on ball defender, having a gritty point of attack defender matters. Um, but beyond that, you don't have a big who can defend and you decided to go and get Christian Wood. That was your solution. Your offense is good. <laughs> your offense has been good and so it's like you go and you get Christian Wood and then you go and you get Kyrie Irving and it's like why do you continuously go and get these one-dimensional players that can't do what you need on the other end you have Luka Doncic like did you need another ball handler yes did it need to be Kyrie Irving I don't think so like and that's not to say that Kyrie is a bad option I just think that like you needed other things you need more guys you need more players you need to have some point of attack defense. You need to have someone who's a backline of your defense. You need to have some room protection. And it's it's mind-boggling to me that they don't, because like we're Raptor fans here. We watch Raptor games. Think about the difference that having Jakob Pertle has made. Or think about even the difference of having Christian Coloco in playing with the bench over Precious Achua, who Precious is a phenomenal defender, but like having a rim protector, having a legitimate big man. Christian had multiple blocks tonight. Think about the difference that that makes, and they just don't have that. Yeah, you're absolutely Garbage right. Game. But I, like, on on your point, you need a big man, but they're not even trying. They lost to no. Charlotte in terms of rebounds by like twenty one rebounds, that's and wild. it's like that. That's effort. They have, like that's complete lack of effort. They only have what Washington, who's like six seven, so like. All you guys literally had to do was try to get a rebound <laughs> and you could have won the game and you didn't even bother to try try to do that. So it's like they've literally given up. And if there's any team that shouldn't be giving up, it's the team with Luca on it, right? Um, yeah, you don't just, you know, try again next uh, year. That's not how it works. Yeah. It's not how it works. I mean, I guess at this point the tank is on, um, but I think it's kind of embarrassing Ooh. When you have Luka Doncic on your team? Well, I mean... Should it be on... Here's the thing. He is suspended for the next game. So already you're you're down to Luka Doncic. Uh, And let me see who they play next. I think they play the Pacers. So maybe maybe you should still win that game. You should, but 
I mean, if you lose to Charlotte, <laughs> or maybe you're the Raptors. If you're if you're following in the Raptors' footsteps, then you lose to the Indiana Pacers. You know what? We shouldn't as well. We shouldn't even be talking because on paper our team is amazing, and then you see them on the floor, and it's like, what the fuck is this? Well, okay, so, so can, can, let's I, pivot. Let's pivot. Let's pivot to the Toronto Raptors, okay? Because Dallas, get your ish together. You have Luka Doncic. Um, let's pivot to the Raptors. Not only, like, you're right. Yes, on paper, you have. To me, it's not even on paper. You see it for stretches. You see it for quarters. You see it in moments where you're like, oh my goodness, this team is really good. And then you don't. And I just, I have such a bone to pick with this team because here's the thing. I I recognize that there are some issues with this Raptors and it comes back to roster construction again. I think whenever we're seeing flaws that are this major, you have to point to the way that the front office has built this team. And I guess I'll get into the roster construction in just a second, but like the Raptors prove that they can be so much better than they are. And then they come out and lose these games, right? Like the Lakers game is the prime example of that. Their starters throughout that entire road trip where they went, what was it? One and four. They, their starters were phenomenal. Their starters were some of the best in the league. The numbers were so incredibly high, but the bench was abysmal. The bench was so bad. And it's like, you can't get nothing from Boucher, Precious, and Gary. You can't go a whole trip getting absolutely nothing from them. And then you come home. And even in a night like tonight, where the Raptors end up pulling it out, you can't have the moments that you had from uh, from Pascal and from Scotty in these games that are must-wins. You can't, it can't be teeth pulling. You just need to have more from your guys. And if everyone just did what they were expected to do, and you know, this team would be so different because I do think they have the talent and they've shown that they have the talent. You just need Pascal to not throw passes at Malachi Flynn's foot. You need like pass all of Pascal's passes today were so incredibly low. Like, what on earth was with the passing today, Pascal? And it was just all of his energy. I have been fasting today. So, like Pascal, if you're fasting, uh, which I don't think so because you were supposed to be a priest or something, um, I can understand the lack of energy because this man looked tired from jump. They had a jump ball, and that man was already gassed. They were like, it was early in the first quarter. Raptors come out from a timeout and Pascal is jogging, not rushing back, which is fine. Like Fred had the ball and Fred wasn't rushing it up. But Pascal was sort of keeping pace with Fred as Fred walked the ball up. And then he just goes to the corner and slumps over and looks so tired. Like he looks like he just, it looks like it was the fourth quarter and he was just putting up Jordan numbers. Like he just looked gassed. And I'm like, if you were this tired, like I don't, what do what do the Raptors do? Because he was playing so lackadaisical on the defensive end. He was one like he like bro. He could not stop Davis or whatever. Like he couldn't stop Abdia. He couldn't stop when Kispert was on him. Kispert was cooking him. No matter who he had on him, it's like they like he just could not stop any of them on the defensive end. And then on the offensive end, he just looked tired and was making the most sloppy passes that you just don't see Pascal make. And so I don't know. Today was one of those games where I'm just like, is it sleep? Is it like, did you have a fun Saturday night? Are you fasting? Like, what was it, buddy? Because it's probably lack know. of motivation. Like, would you be motivated to play at your hardest for this he Raptors be, team? I don't he, think he so. He better be because he is this Raptors team. In, in my opinion, it's like, if you are the best player on this team, you are this team, right? Like, Pascal, you get to decide if this team stays together or not. And here's the thing. You have the most on the line as well. Because you have to make all NBA this year or next year if you want to get your Supermax. 
If your team flames out and does not make the playoffs because you decided to play lackadaisical because you were looking for, you know, Cancun, one, two, three, Cancun, you're not making the money that you want to make. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And I think that like, if there's going to be one person who's motivated, it ought to be the player who needs this to work because if this experiment fails and this team is blown up, then either you're traded to another team, you don't make your money, or you're, I mean, he might, but like, uh, or you're on a tanking team next year and you're obviously not making your money. Like, this is about your contract. <laughs> and I don't think you'll be on a tanking team next year. It doesn't make sense to have a 30 year old trying to make the super max on a tanking team. None of it makes <laughs> sense. So, like, if, if he's thinking about his future, it, in my opinion, you have to prove that you're the guy. And you can only prove if you're that you're the guy if you play well. Because if you're playing like crap, what makes this Raptors team want to invest in you? Why I understand why that, Bobby but Bobby Webster want to pay you. But I, I think where I stand with Pascal is I can understand him taking his foot off the gas a little bit. I mean, he's been essentially busting his ass all season, um, trying to carry this team as far as he can. Um, we've already established that maybe in terms of being that top five player, he's not quite there yet. Um, and maybe he needs someone else to take the load off his shoulders because he's tried to carry that load and he's done a fantastic job. Like he's, his, his, his game has evolved and we've seen it, um, from last season, um, up until now. But I do think even for Pascal, this wasn't supposed to be the position he was supposed to be in. I think the problem here is the Raptors didn't construct a team um, that works to Pascal's advantages. And honestly, I think Vision 6-9, I'm not saying it's a failed, you know, experiment. I'm saying that we need to find 6-9 guys that can shoot. So it's not solely dependent on Pascal having a great game, um, Fred having a great game and forcing the issue because he he did a little bit of that um tonight as well you know um and really trying to make sure that Scotty is continuing to develop his game putting him in late game situations where he can really kind of figure himself out like I think as much as I want to fault Pascal for taking a step back and being really exhausted he's busted his ass all season and now it's like He's done all that work to try to fight to get into a play-in where they might end up playing Miami, who's going to fucking kill them if they play Miami, let's be honest. And then it'll be all for naught, right? Um, So I can can understand that frustration a little bit. Like, I busted my ass all season, um, almost didn't get the acknowledgement that I deserved um, for All-Star, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole Durant thing happened and then he he kind of slid in there. But I would not want to be busting my ass in March either for a play in game. I'm like, it's either for me personally, I'm team tank. Um, I don't. But I think it's too late right now because yeah. we're in such <laughs> like a gridlock. <laughs> <laughs> we're in a gridlock with, you know, two other teams. There's six games left. The playoffs are and about there's to start. Probably more than, there's more than six games. But, like, whatever it is, there's not whatever. a lot of games yeah, left. Exactly. Um, so I, I just, I don't know. I don't, uh, he's human. So, he's he's, he's done what he little, needed to do. And, uh, get, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with that. And I, I get I get your point. I, I completely am understanding that. But. 
here's where I sort of push back. It's like, one, you wanted them to get Jakob Pertl, right? Like you were asking for that. And here's the thing, he did, to your point, he did bust his butt, right? Like he was doing it when the team needed somebody to do it. He was everything for this team. He was Superman. He had the S on his chest. He was lifting this team up when they had absolutely no one. And, but now that they actually have players, now that they have bodies, now that you have eight players that you actually have a rotation and you can trust, you need to prove that you can still do it. You need to prove that, like, it's not when it's this, you know, 30-win team and you just need Pascal to sort. And here's the thing. I'm a Pascal apologist. I love Pascal. I believe that he can do these things. Like, I believe he can do the things that I'm asking him to do. You need to do this. And here's the thing. To me, it's all, like, this team is about how good Pascal can be, right? Like, there's, if we're, and I get Pascal's not in the conversation of a Kevin Durant or a LeBron James or whatever else, but if you want this, if you believe that you can be, and he wanted to come to the season calling himself top five, but if you believe that you can be someone that this team builds around, whether it be you and Scotty or you and whoever, like, if you believe in yourself and your abilities, you have to recognize that this is the play-in team because of, like, how do I how do I put this? Here's the thing. He also needs to be better in these moments as well, right? Like it, it falls on him as much as it falls on everybody because it is a team thing. And I think I think there's a little bit of that that like Pascal has been brilliant for this team, but Pascal's really struggled in certain games where you need Pascal to just do more. Pascal's been very passive in fourth quarters when you need Pascal to put his foot on the gas. That road trip that I mentioned where Gary and everybody else in the Raptors were one and four, Pascal was also not great in that road trip and you needed him to be better. You need your star on the road. And those are the games. And it's been, you know, since the trade down, whether it's him tiring out or him, whatever, he's thinking, and for Pascal, this is all about the max deal. This is all about the super max. This is all about next year for him. This is all about proving that he's the dude that you can build around. And for him, tanking does not make sense, right? Because he's going to be 30 years old. And if that's the direction that the Raptors go in, then the Raptors have decided, hey, Pascal, we actually don't think that you're good enough for us to do anything with you. Which... You know, and, and to your point about Vision 6-9, to me, Vision 6-9 has failed, right? Like, Vision 6-9 has failed as a concept because what versatility means is not, oh, you have someone who can guard one through five. It's not, oh, OG is incredibly versatile because he can guard one through five, or Precious is incredibly versatile because he could do it, or anything like that. To me, versatile means malleable. Versatile means your team can play in different ways. Versatile means you can, if you're going up against Joel Embiid in the Sixers in the second round of a playoffs, you can actually play Ibaka and Gasol together so that your team is giant. And when you're going up against um, the Bucks and you need to just go all small, you can do that by not playing, um, by not playing, uh, by playing Siakam at the five and not playing, or against the Warriors, I should say, with Draymond Green. Like you can play you can do that by putting Pascal Siakam at the five and putting Kawhi right. at the four and you can just go right. small, right? Like that is what versatile means. Versatile means is you can match up with teams by going jumbo and you can match up with teams by going super small and you can match up with teams by just going normal. And the Raptors have not had the ability to do that. They just, I think, and until now, like I, until having Jakob now, but I will say the one thing, your, your point about shooting is so important and I'm sorry, Pascal, you need to be a better shooter. If you want to be in the upper echelon, if we're going to be talking about guys who are top 10, top 15, like top whatever, I need you to be a better pull-up shooter because that's what this right. team needs, needs shooting. And if you are the star, you got to provide some of what that team needs. That's like the harshest I'll ever be on Pascal Siakam. I just feel like today's game, 
has me in a different headspace. Pascal, I love you and I apologize. And I'll come back to defending your honor tomorrow. <laughs> Just got to get it out of your system. I think it's another thing out. we do need to talk about is uh, Nick Nurse and his scheming. Um, because I, I do think he's holding on to the championship team a little bit and, and the schemes that he had during the championship team. That team was very malleable. That team was very versatile. Uh, and I think he's expecting a team um, without that kind of experience to play the way a Kawhi, Gasol, Lowry, Pascal, like you're not going to be able to recreate that. You're just not right. For me personally, I think um, as amazing as those moving pieces, you know, we had Surge, as amazing as those moving pieces were, what made it really work was that you had a top five player like Kawhi that could go and get you 40, that could go and play defense on the best player on the opposing team when you needed it. You know, when the shots weren't going down, you knew you could depend on someone to to be that person that was going to carry the team day in, day out in the playoffs when it really mattered. Um, the Raptors don't have that. And then on top of it, yeah, it's great to have five players that are, you know, six, nine, and, you know, can switch on each position. Uh, but if you don't have shooting, <laughs> if you can't score, it doesn't matter. Like, again, I, it's, uh, this team is so frustrating for me because I, I honestly feel like Nick Nurse is holding on to what won him the championship, but he also needs to come into the realization that he doesn't have those same pieces. This team is not going to be the 2019 championship team. They're not going to, like, there was something so quick about the way that they played on that team. They almost kind of read where each other were going to be. They they knew where they were supposed to be. Like each player has talked about it numerous times about just the way that they fed off each other. You have someone like Gasol that is a step ahead every single time on every play. We don't have those type of players. Yes, we have an OG who's arguably one of the best defenders in the league. And that's not in that's not arguably he is. Um, we do have Fred and Pascal who have the playoff experience and we're on that championship team. Technically, yes, the the culture should have moved forward with the current team that's here, right? Like a lot of the players that were on that championship team either have played, continue to play for the Raptors or are still on the team. But I think... I think we have a certain expectation or Nick has a certain expectation that Fred is going to lead the team the way Lowry did, that Pascal is going to be able to carry the team in a way that maybe not Kawhi, but if he's going to be the number one option, you have that expectation that he's going to fill out that role. And unfortunately, they're not able to do it. So there has to be a little bit of a pivot in the way Nick Nurse views this team and what they're capable of. If they are not capable of being that team, that defensive team that can switch on everything, because in theory, they should be able to do it. Like each piece is really like each of these players are really good defensively. But as a unit, we're what middling in terms of defense, if not one of the worst teams defensively, it's not working. So there has to be a switch in mentality. And I think Nick Nurse genuinely is still holding on to 
the team that won him a championship and the schemes that won him a championship. And the rest of the teams have caught up and they figured it out. And there has to be, and six, nine isn't working. Okay. We need somebody who can shoot the ball. Maybe try to find a six, nine guy that can shoot the ball on a consistent basis and a bench that can actually stay on the floor. And maybe then we'll be cooking. Right. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe I'm just reading into how Nick, I, I just get this vibe that Nick expects to be able to turn this team into, he just needs a little bit of time, quote unquote, to turn this team into what the 2019 championship team was. And I just don't think as constructed they have it. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just reading into things. I don't know if you've noticed that or if you have any opinions on that, but that's kind of how I view how things have gone the last two, three years um, since the championship run. I don't know. Yeah. You know, here's the thing. I, I agree that like, I think Nick Nurse has been very stubborn in his philosophy, which is like interesting because we think of Nick Nurse as being like a, incredibly malleable, right? Like the, like that's sort of his whole shtick is that he, he is someone who sort of, that, that's why, you know, he was like picked to, to lead the Raptors um, to the championship. But I, here's where I think, where I'll defend Nick a little bit. I think a large part of it is roster construction because he has no other choice sometimes. Like, I think where he's been really, um, like everyone talks about this aggressive style of defense Raptors play, right? Everyone's like, oh, it's too aggressive. And I agree with it. It's too aggressive. And the Raptors guys, like it's just impossible to ask these guys to maintain that level of aggression for 48 minutes. It's fun to watch because if you really want to learn defense, you can watch the Raptors on any given night because either they're you know so quick to close when they're playing defense beautifully and they're so aggressive in their closings and then you can see how like lazy um <laughs> they close out on guys and how you have misreads and lack of communication and all, all sorts of other really bad things this year versus last year we really want to break it down but um where I think that I'll sort of give Nick Nurse some benefit of the doubt here is that this roster is what it is and he just has it to work with right he doesn't have a Kyle Lowry he's got to rely on Fred Van Vliet and for Fred Van Vliet you know he was an all-star last year he's really picked it up in the second half of the season and looks really good right now leading the team in the way that he can um with Pascal Siakam you need a number one you need someone who can do that in terms of like what he has to work with there is no shooting on this team he did not have a rim protector so what is he supposed to do when this is the roster that's been given to him he's been given a roster with no shooting He's been giving him a roster with a very weak bench that's gotten better since the trade deadline. It certainly has. Um, but a lot of that, in my opinion, falls on the front office who thinks that they can replicate exactly what they've done before. Uh, so to me, it's like to they think that they can replicate the, the championship season. And like, maybe they can, but it hasn't worked so far. Um, you just can't expect, oh, you know, these guys are just going to come in and fill the roles. Like getting a Fred Van Vliet, getting a DeLon Wright, getting, and I know DeLon wasn't on the team, but like getting a Jakob Pertl, who also wasn't on the team. Like that, that roster that the Raptors had, that series of like young guys that the Raptors were able to get, we just saw DeLon tonight. DeLon is him, bro. Like that level of talent that the Raptors were able to get either late in the draft or, you know, undrafted or in the second round. It's just not something that the Raptors have been able to continue to do. They just don't have that level of development. I'm not going to blame the development. It just doesn't seem like they're just getting those same level of guys right now, late in drafts or undrafted or in the second round. 
And not only that, they have not been able to develop in their, any of their guys into shooters, which is something that the Raptors believe that they could do. They look at a guy like OG Ananobi, who came into the league as a non-shooter, and watched him develop his shot. Kyle Lowry is someone who came to the league as a non-shooter, and he developed his shot. And it's like, you haven't been able to do that with any of these guys. So the Raptors, in my opinion, it's the front office who thinks that they can just sort of rework the magic that worked for them before, and it's not happening. You need to actually put a talented team together. You cannot just bet on the fact that your development system can just churn them out because it hasn't been working so far. Yes, it worked with Fred. Yes, it worked with Pascal. It worked with Delon. It worked with Jacob. It worked with OG. It worked with a lot of these guys, Norman Powell. But it's not going to continue to work. You need to have, we know what works for teams, right? Like to me, this this. Uh, Wizards game is a prime example of it. The third quarter came, and the difference between the third quarter where the Raptors gave up 38 points to the Washington Wizards and almost totally gave up that lead, the difference there was three-point shooting, and the Raptors just don't have anyone like that. Is there a consistent pull-up three-point threat on the Raptors besides Fred Van Vliet? No. Gary Trent Jr. is the only good three-point shooter. His pull-up numbers are not good. They're bad. Right. He's he's a catch and shoot pull up shooter right now. That's where he's excelling. And you need that. You need catch and shoot guys. Pascal is not a good catch and shoot the three point shooter. He's been able to hit them in the corners, but really he only takes them early in games. Um, and like at home, according to that tablet, where he's a great at home shooter, but like he hasn't really been great. He, he he hit one tonight, but like that hasn't really been and you need Pascal to be a, a pull up shooter. You don't need Pascal to sort of be your catch and shoot guy. Um, uh, OG Ananobi, great catch and shoot guy. But you need you need guys who can pull up. You need guys who can create their own shot and they can do that from deep. You need to have three point shooting. It is the modern NBA. Like Serge Ibaka was hitting shots again for you. Exactly, I was just about to say that. I was just about to say that. You need to have that, and this Raptors team does not. So to me, it's like I feel for Nick Nurse because I think he's getting blamed for what really was bad roster construction and part of that is like if you have Otto Porter Jr. maybe this team looks completely different because I think the the spacing that he can provide absolutely changes what this Raptors team can do because if they just had one other guy who can genuinely space and actually be a three-point threat it changes everything and maybe Pascal Siakam can become that maybe Scotty Barnes can become that but until they are this team is severely lacking in shooting. And just like this team was severely lacking uh, a rim protector and their defense was bad because they lacked a rim protector, their offense is going to be bad until they get a three-point shooter. It's just the modern NBA. Vision 6-9 is not going to work because uh, Vision 6-9 is not going to give you the tallest guy. Like, think about the Raptors rebounding since Yaka Pertle's come in. It's been absolutely spectacular to watch, right? You need to have a big guy and you need to have three-point shooting. It is the NBA. Like, And I was just looking it up. The Raptors' defense since the All-Star break is actually eighth in, in the league right now. So they've had a top eight uh, defense since the All-Star break. Uh, their offense has slipped since then, which makes sense because we've watched their road trip where they were absolutely horrid and they're 22nd in offense, right? And they're uh, 14th and 15th on the season, 14th defense for the season and 15th on offense uh, for the season. So like right there, middle of the pack, that's like a 41 win team, which may mm-hmm. be where the Raptors finish when all is said and done. You need to be mm-hmm. better than that. You need to be better than a 500 team. And to me, it comes down to you needed to have the rim protector, but you also just need to have shooting. And until Nick Nurse gets that, I think it's unfair. I think, I think it's like, to me, it's like, it's like a teacher not giving you the work, like not giving you the, the, the textbook, the skills or whatever to write the test or to do the assignment and then getting mad at you for failing the assignment. 
You didn't give right. me what I needed to pass this, right? You told me to build right. a diorama, but you didn't tell me of what or what pieces I need. You didn't give me the resources I need to be able to complete this assignment. And I think that that's what we're doing with Nick Nurse right now. He's been given pieces that just don't work because they're all the same player and none of them can shoot. Damn it. <laughs> I mean, really if you're going to rest swear. your laurels, <laughs> I I they're, they're, they're making me angry. But um, I, just, I think the Raptors need to be better. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with you, but if you're going to rest your laurels on defense, be one of the best defensive play, um, teams in the yeah, league. Yeah, you needed a, you needed you a rim protector middling. to do that. You needed a rim protector to do that. And you're, Nick Nurse was a so little you, bit too stubborn. I agree. The, the, the Raptors' aggressive de- defense was like was a lot, and it didn't yeah. work, but you needed yeah. a, The reason why they played that way, though, the reason why they did that is because, hey, it's like you don't have a rim protector. And so mm-hmm. what you have to do, you have to – and you, you have – guys with incredible wingspans and incredible leg spans who are incredibly athletic and incredibly quick and all sorts of incredibly amazing things so they can read and react and recover really quickly and we see that when they're on when they are on oh boy they are on and it's like it's like a symphony it's beautiful to watch them do that Mm -hmm. but that Mm -hmm. requires a lot of energy to be at the basket and rotate out to the corners as quickly as possible to contest a shot we see it Chris Boucher gets a ton of of three-point blocks we see it the Raptors led the league in three-point block shots they also led the league in corner threes being given up because when you don't block that shot, well, then it's going to be an open corner three. And so that's the defense that they had to play because if they don't take away the inside, they don't take away the middle. Well, then they're doing exactly what the Dallas Mavericks are doing, which is having the most future (laughs) defense you've ever seen. You need to take away the middle and you need to also take away the corners. And their way of doing that is having guys rotate over. But now that you have a big you don't need guys to play that aggressively because you actually have Jakob Pertl who can sag back and was called for two defensive three-second violations <laughs> in today's game. But, you know, right. he's doing what he's supposed to do, which is be the big man inside and really deter guys from getting in there, but also not forcing the OGs and the Pascals and everybody else to, one, play up a position, but also, two, have to play so aggressively by rotating out to the corners to try and stop shots. It's just, again... How do you want me to have a good defense if you're not giving me a rim protector front office? It comes down, in my opinion, to the front office and their feelings on moving quickly. Vision 6 9, I think, is fine and good. Like I called it a failure. I think it's fine and good if you have it in spurts. Vision 6 right. 9, if it's just you put five guys out there and it's like, whoa, look at them. Like, they're no huge. Team can match up with them. They're so right. big. And it's like a five minute spurt, you know, you just throw it in there because it's a matchup nightmare for some teams. That's fine and dandy. But if it's your 48 minutes and it's all you have to go out there and that's all you have, well, then you're going to have guys like Vooch and guys like Porzingis and guys like every big man that you can possibly think of absolutely scorch you, which is what we saw. Steven Adams absolutely abused the Raptors. And it's like Stephen Adams is a good player. I love Stephen Adams, but like he shouldn't be having a career night against you because you just don't have anybody taller than six nine on your team. That's like unfortunate. And that's where the Raptors were. And so to me, I like this team more. I like this roster more. I just think it needs shooting. And until it has shooting, it just feels incomplete. Fair. That's my Raptors rant. <laughs> I mean, so should we talk about the battle for uh, the play-in at this point? <laughs> we can't. Well, here's the thing. Like, as much as I'm like, the Raptors are the worst team and they need to be better and it's so bad and the sky is falling and everything sucks. 
you look at the Western Conference and you're like, oh, everyone basically has an identical Raptors record to the Raptors. Yeah. So maybe the whole league is um, iffy. And like, that's kind of what parody is, right? Like, I think that this is what the play-in has done really well. The play-in has made March games matter and April games matter, but it also has just made their, like, there is no juggernaut team. Like, I think the Bucks are the closest thing to a juggernaut and the Bucks are the sort of nucleus that existed that that predates the play-in like I was like they're they're not they're not uh they don't exist after the play-in they've existed since right. prior to the play-in so I just sort of right. count them out uh when I'm talking about this but like every other team except if Kevin Durant uh comes back and is healthy against the Phoenix Suns because that becomes a dominant team but like everybody else is just sort of like you know roughly around 500 <laughs> which which I think before, if you had a team like the Wizards or you have a team like the Raptors or the Bulls, a lot of these teams would have sold because they would have had no chance at the playoffs. And right now with the play-in, they weren't sellers. Instead, they are trying to. The Bulls didn't make a move. The The Wizards didn't make a move. And the Raptors made a move to get better. These three teams that might not make the playoffs all and the, the Hawks didn't make a move like four teams that might not make the playoffs uh the Heat didn't make a move five teams all of these teams did not make a move <laughs> um and they might not make the playoffs they're they're not in the top six of their conference still didn't because they have a chance because of the plan which means that the teams at the top the teams that are one two three and four they didn't get better because what would have happened in previous years is those teams that suck that are like, hey, what what is the point of me holding on to X, Y, and Z? Why don't I trade them away to a contender and get a bunch of picks and get a bunch of young guys? Now that's not happening anymore. So instead of having these top teams that are just absolute juggernauts because they have all the bad teams, good players, we just have a bunch of the same leveled teams because everyone's just kind of there, Um, which I think makes for interesting basketball it kind of like makes it so that like every injury matters 10 times more and everything matters 10 times more. Like, I don't know if I explained that in a way that made sense, but like yeah, you the did, point you is did. that like, yeah, bad teams don't have to sell then good teams don't get better. They just stay good. Uh, whereas in the past, good teams got super, super duper good. Extremely they took all the good. bad guys. Exactly. Yeah. They took all of yeah. like, the bad teams guys. Um, and, and so that's just created parody and a level that we just have not seen before. And I think it'll make for really, really interesting basketball. It's made March basketball interesting, which like, I cannot tell you the last time I've cared about another team's game, like another conference's games in the middle of April. Like uh, it's so, or it's not the middle of April. You know what I mean? Uh, Middle of March. Uh, (laughs) Like it's just, it feels, it feels interesting and weird and fun. And so like for as bad as the Raptors are now, Everything can change next year. You just get another shooter. Otto Porter, come back. Like, stop being mean to us. Just, like, play basketball, bro. Please, bro. Like, that changes everything for the Raptors. If he plays... It does. It really does. It changes everything for... Think about it. If he plays, you now have, what, nine... You go nine or ten deep? Like, you actually have a legitimate rotation and you have spacers? Like, that changes everything for the Raptors. Also, if... Gary Trent Jr. wants to develop a pull-up three. I won't be mad at him. And if Pascal Siakam would like to develop a pull-up three, I will start his MVP talks today. I'll I'll do it yesterday. I will fill in the papers. That's all uh, he needs. That's all Pascal needs. And top five player, no questions asked. But I do want to 
talk a little bit about what we might have coming up on the pod. I, it's not a very good segue, but since we're talking <laughs> about parody and the way games are going to go, we don't know which way their games are going to go. Um, I don't know. This is a weird segue. And how referees <laughs> are refereeing these games. Uh, we do have a couple of interesting guests that will be on the pod very soon. I'm not going to say what it's about or who we don't it is. Spoil it just yet. Don't yeah. Spoil it. Um, but like, but dishes I'm does really have... excited for this, you guys. If, yeah. like, please tune in. If you at all care about the conversation about officiating in the NBA and want to know more about officiating in the NBA, uh, I would recommend listening to Dishes and Dimes because our next two episodes are going to be on that specifically. And it'll just, it'll be, it'll be tons of fun. It's going to be very interesting. So it'll I'm very excited. It'll be tons of fun. Um, as a little bit of, of a hint, Ooh. Um, it has something to do with Netflix. And chill. No, not that last part. <laughs> just just Netflix. The chilling, that's y'all's business. Not going to get into <laughs> it. But uh, it does have something to do with Netflix. So um, we're, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, and we're going to move. Can I just yell on. about Kendrick Perkins and JJ Reddick? Are we ready to do that? Yes, let's 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 get into this JJ Reddick Kendrick uh, situation because y'all, I'm so mad that JJ's making me defend Kendrick Perkins here. Us, I'm like about you. It. What is happening? I I have to defend Perkins. I I I never thought that I would be in a situation where I'm defending. Um, first take. Also, um, like I have a, I have an issue with Perkins because he wanted to tweet out like, oh, last year y'all were calling me the C word. Um, calling me black. Uh, say my and name. Now, and say now my name. you <laughs> and now y'all are saying that I'm like, oh, da, da, da. and it's like, baby, let me introduce you to this thing called massage noir. Like, let me break <laughs> something down to you, sir. Like, let me tell you where you're wrong both like you're you're right now but you're wrong about this tweet and you're wrong last time before because like <laughs> both things can be true honey um but that's another conversation for another day for right now Kenji Perkins let me tell you something you were right you were right obviously race plays a factor for people who think that race does not play a factor it is absolutely mind-boggling to me that you would think that Sandy I like like do you have thoughts on any of this I just as if the NBA exists in a vacuum where racism what? does not affect. Like, come on, are we being are we being serious? Like, I'm trying not to cuss. I've cussed a couple times, but you know, you hey, know, I'm I want to respect you, mom. <laughs> Try not to like like push him on to also cuss, but like, <laughs> look, the NBA does not exist in a vacuum. And for JJ to demand that we cite, <laughs> we give sources to the the racism that happens in the NBA is complete bullshit. Right. And th- another point, anytime you think someone is an ally, <laughs> they're going to show their ass. Mm. Allies. Allies don't. I'm not going to say they don't exist. They exist. But I do not think we should name anybody an ally. If you're really about it, you're about it. And we'll know by your actions. <laughs> but I'm not giving anybody that that title because it's absolutely ridiculous you have an alt-right leader like co-signing your bullshit and if I was in JJ's position I would have taken a step back reassessed looked at myself and really thought 
about what I was promoting and what I was saying. If an alt-right guy is going to tweet and be like, yo, JJ, you're, you're right. You're on the right side of things. Like you really need to reassess what you're saying. And for the record, we do not need to cite or give sources for racism. Mm-hmm. Like if you're black. Allies don't ask for that. You, you know what racism looks like. And it's not someone calling you the N-word. It's a little, it's, it's, it's not as obvious all the time. We do. Yeah, live I, wrote, in I wrote a whole, I wrote an article about it, about it happening in the sports media landscape. So you want to talk about sports media and implicit biases, they exist. But here's the thing that I think people mix up. We've decided that racism needs to be this like overt thing. We've also just like, I, I think, I think people get too defensive on this. Like, here's the reality. We're all racist. And when people hear that, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, black people don't like white people and white people don't like black people and Asian people. And like, it's just like, no, that's not what I mean. I mean, we all grew up in under white supremacy. I mean, we all hold anti-black values. We all like whether you're black, colorism is a thing for a reason. You, Sandy, you and I have talked at length about um, the way that the NBA players, massage noir, right? Like the way that it sort of transpires when we right. hear NBA players talk specifically about black women or like dating preferences or all sorts of other things. Everybody is racist because everybody, not because everybody has prejudice against another race. No, because we all grow up in under white supremacy. But here's the thing. When you're black and you go up under white supremacy, it's something that you unlearn from a really young age because of, not everybody. <laughs> Let me be honest, not everybody. Not but everybody. Like, it is something that you are constantly having to your your existence challenges the things that you are taught. But there's a reason why you know CNN has done studies. Everybody's done studies where you give like babies these two dolls, and it's like which one do you prefer? Right? And how often is it not the black baby doll? Right? Like these are things that exist, and so. When talking about racism, and the reason why I bring this up first is because when we call people, like when we call out racism, people get very offended and they're like, I'm not a racist. If that is your initial response to racism is to say people are not racist, X, Y, and Z is not racist, or you have to prove racism, you don't understand what racism is. You do not understand what it means to exist under white supremacy. You don't get it. It tells me that you have not done the work to unlearn because to unlearn is to recognize that all of these systems are racist. When people ask, why does everybody need to bring race into this? Because it exists and us pointing it out is not the issue. The fact that it exists is the issue and it needs to be pointed out because that's the only way that we can move and grow beyond this. So I think racism also when racist becomes such a harsh word and people people prefer the racism to actually being called a racist. It's such a weird world that we live in. But here's the thing. It's implicit bias. No one is saying that you are flat out racist. Nobody's saying that anyone is a flat out racist. The fact of the matter is implicit bias exists and we all have it. We all have implicit bias. And when we're able to call out implicit bias, that's when we can actually do work. And if you're asking people to point out implicit bias, that tells me that you have no idea what it means. You have no concept of what any of it is if you're asking people to prove implicit bias. Like, it's just, it's mind boggling to me, your point, to exist that the NBA exists in a vacuum from the rest of the world. That is ludicrous. And that is nonsense. And here's the thing. We know about implicit bias in the NBA. There have been studies about implicit bias in the NBA. In JJ Reddick's 
playing career. There have been studies done on NBA referees and NBA officiating and the implicit bias that exists within officiating. And the fact that it was, a study came out that proved that there was um, a preference for lighter bias in players. NBA in NBA officiating and preferential treatment to white players. If it was a majority yeah. white crew, then white players were probably not going to get called fouls against. If it was a majority black crew, then black players were not going to get, you didn't get fouls called by referees who were different, who were the same race as you. And here's the thing. There were like 90% white referees and like 10% black referees. So it was clearly, and you know, 90% black players and 10%, obviously I'm exaggerating in terms of the percentages, but this was a study done in 2006, 2007, which is the year that JJ Reddick started playing. So like, this is a known thing that's existed. And, and here's the thing, when that study was redone, they found that that implicit bias didn't exist anymore. And the NBA either made internal changes to, to fix that, or just the mention of it, just the fact that it was brought up, just the fact that referees were cognizant of what was happening in their brain, why they might think X, Y, and Z, why they might call someone, call a foul on X, Y, and Z, all of that changed the way they officiated. All of that changed. So when the same, when the study was done by the same guys who did it uh, a decade later, they found that implicit bias that existed in the mid 2000s didn't exist any longer in officiating, at least not conclusively so. And so it's important that we have these conversations. We also constantly are talking about implicit bias in the way that commentators call games. And again, there have been studies done on the way that commentators call games and the implicit biases mm -hmm. that they hold. And it's, a, it's so common and it's something that we all know. Even without the studies being done, and there are studies, and I can reference them, and I can pull them out if anyone wants. Like, I, I'm doing this. Basically, guys, I'm so sorry. We had all this planned for last week, but things fell down, so I had all of my <laughs> references and notes, and I, I could have cited things a little bit better now. I'm pulling from memory right now, uh, so I'm giving you estimates. But here's the thing. There have been studies done on commentators and the way that they call basketball games, and we all know it. How many times are the dark-skinned players, like it's a joke right now on Twitter. It's like, oh, dark-skinned player. It's like, oh, athletic. White player, oh, sneaky athletic. And here, let me, I'm, I'm going to try and, and pull this up for you so I can actually have the numbers on it because it was staggering when I read it about the amount of, um, of how often when it was a lighter-skinned, aka a white player or mm -hmm. a, a white player. A lighter-skinned, um, yep. Their intellect and their sneaky mm. athleticism and the intangibles that they brought was mentioned. And when it was a black player, it was strictly their physique Strength. and their athleticism. And mm -hmm. that's what was mentioned. And this is commentators that were, and they, they, they looked at college basketball and they looked at the pro level and they found there this we across go. the board. And there they found that like, because this existed at the college level, it could also impact the way drafts are run because, you know, um, no one wants to draft someone who's sneaky athletic. Well, sneaky athletic, maybe you want to draft, but no one wants to draft someone who, um, you know, the way that they sort of talk about a lot of white players was like, that is their peak athleticism. <laughs> like that's sort of the, the best that they'll sort of get in that regard. Um, but they're just so smart and they bring so much of that other stuff. And that usually doesn't lend itself to being a super high draft pick. That usually lends yourself to being out of the lottery, first round type of pick. And so they talked about how it might affect um, players draft stock and how it maybe negatively affects some white players draft stock and I thought it was such a fascinating read to look at the breakdown of that and also there was this other um uh item about like 
how it how it affects not only just the way like fans see players and the way fancy teams and like we we know for a fact that like fans hold this we see the way that fans vilify like think about the raptor when, when like it just keeps bringing me back to like raptor fans starting a gofundme to send pascal siakam back to africa like yep. to think that something like that exists in a league and somehow implicit bias doesn't exist but we all know what sneaky athleticism means we all know yep. and also they, they, they pointed out that like when a white player is athletic when you have um, what's his name that just won the dunk contest? When you have someone who can do that, it completely breaks our mind because we look at someone and we're like, he doesn't have the ability to do that. But if it were a black dude who did that, we sort of it would just come naturally, level, especially right? a dark skinned yeah. black dude. Yeah, yep, we sort yep. of expect that level of athleticism that it doesn't become as much of a feat to us that he's able to do something like this. And so, does implicit bias exist? Yes, of course it exists. It, it has to exist because it exists in the world. And unless we're having this conversation, then we're just not doing it justice. And I say all this to say that like, Jokic has been my MVP. Like, like even through our own, like, like he can still be the best player and he can still be the MVP. But to think that racism doesn't play a factor and also racism doesn't just doesn't play a factor when we're talking about a white player versus a black player. It can also be multiple black players, right? Like LeBron James losing MVP to Derrick Rose is a thousand percent a race issue. That is a thousand percent a how dare this black, this 25-year-old black man have the audacity to do what LeBron James did. People were so mad at LeBron James. The media was so mad at LeBron James for no justifiable reason. There was so much vitriol thrown at that man for, again, no justifiable reason besides being upset at his audacity. And like, that is wild. And unless we're actually having a conversation about why all of that is wild, like unless we're actually having a legitimate conversation about race and implicit bias and how it affects everything, we're just not doing ourselves justice here. And I think the other thing that people fail to realize is by saying that implicit bias helps a player doesn't mean that they're undeserving. Exactly. It right? I, I, I really want to jump in here because yeah, I please. with the Jokic situation, Jokic is deserving of the MVP. Yeah. Personally, in my opinion, it's a regular season award. It, it, does, it should not have to do with championships. It should not have to do with the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. It's a regular season award. However, for a player who's going to win or... I, I think he'll win it. The for a player who's going to win three in a row, um, having not won a championship, uh, the only other player that's done that is Bird, who's also white. Um, so Michael hasn't done that. Kareem hasn't done that. Uh, LeBron hasn't done that. Bryant hasn't done that. So when we're talking about bias... It's not saying that Jokic isn't deserving of the award. I think he is deserving. I think when you have a player who is white and who is playing the way that he is playing, white voters are more likely, you know, to give him that third MVP over, say, if a LeBron had done the same thing without having won his championships. Let's just be honest. The proof is there, right? Um, the NBA is 72% black, 17% white, 
nine players, um, white players have won um, the MVP in, I guess, in the span of 40 years. Um, the percentages are a little bit off. That means about 32% of MVPs have been white in a league where majority is black, right? So if there is a player that is great, um, I personally always say that when a white player like a Luka or a, a, a Jokic come up, it's the great white hope, right? The white commentators, the white voters, the white fans have been waiting for a player of that caliber to pop up because then they can be celebrated and they can be held in esteem and they can be given awards. Um, I strongly do believe there is a bias towards those players. It's even just the way that European basketball is spoken about and how, you know, the NBA is spoken about. The European basketball is about fundamentals. It's about really playing the game. It's real basketball. And NBA player is uh, NBA sorry NBA basketball is about flash and it's about fluff and it's about superstars um the irony in all of that is the greatest players on the planet play for the NBA and not only just that they're doing things that we've just never really seen in the sport if European basketball is that great why aren't we seeing that well, why aren't I mean, they producing players at that level? And and um, that's not to say that I, I totally agree that the NBA does have, you know, there is a pipeline to the NBA that doesn't exist for European basketball. Obviously, I'm yeah. not going to negate that. But I do think to diminish what the NBA is in favor of European basketball, um, I think it's speaking to a level of bias and racism that we don't necessarily discuss you know when a I Cuban think that, says, like Torrey put it really well in in his yeah. article where he he basically looked at it and and to your uh he said that it's just, it's, it's like and I agree with your point about like the the percentage of white players that have won the MVP award but beyond that because I think that like if you're if you're great you're great let's look at the top five which is something that he did and I thought that this was like a really sort of fascinating look and I think it hopefully puts things into perspective because I want people to recognize I don't think anyone is being malicious I don't think people recognize the biases that they hold unless they actually do the work and and here's the thing I don't think you just have to be white to hold these biases I think you can be black and hold them I think you can be of any race and hold them but here here is is what it is um he said he found that in the past 21 years, a white player got within the top five just 11 times, right? So that's top five in MVP voting, 11 times. In those 11 times where a white player got into the top five, they won it six times. That is absurd. That is a, Wild. Such a high percentage. Wild. And, and so, and, and, he, and to his point, what his point was here is that when it's so close and everything is right there, what is that sort of extra point? I mean, to some people, it's like when you look a little bit different than the rest of the playing field, that might just be it. It's like it's, it's somehow surprising that they were able to do this. I don't know what it is, but I think it's important for us to look at that stat alone and recognize that there might be something there. To recognize that, hey, the, the logo of the league that is, you know, 
overwhelmingly black being a white dude might be might have something to do with a little bit of something the fact that like jj reddick a week before having this argument with kendrick perkins was arguing with mad dog about who the best shooter in the history of basketball was and his take was obviously Stephen curry because anyone who argues against that is absolutely batshit oh sorry oh, i swore i swore oh, no. i broke but <laughs> mad dog you did it to me buddy but um Mad Dog said it was Larry Bird. It's <laughs> like, what? Like, according to who? And you'll have, like, Celtic fans argue that Larry Bird is the best Celtic. And it's like, you guys think Bill Russell played for you guys. Like, like, the fact of the matter is this exists. And to say that it doesn't exist, I think it's unfair. Not only, like, I think it's, I think it's unfair to Black people. I think it's unfair to the Black struggle. I think it's unfair to, like, reality. Because the fact of the matter is, Studies have been done to show implicit bias that exists in refereeing, to show implicit bias that exists in um, NBA um, uh, uh, commentating. We know of racial biases that exist in regards to coaching because we know the type of, you know, pull. I don't want to say the word leash. I don't know why we keep using leash. It feels uncomfortable to say that humans are not a leash to me, but the sort of pull that uh, white coaches get versus black coaches, black GMs versus white GMs. Like we recognize this. We know it. I know that JJ Reddick recognizes it. I know that he knows it. So in an instance, when a black person points it out and maybe Kendrick Perkins didn't do the, the notes, maybe he didn't have his research like I did last week, not today. Sorry guys. But like Maybe he didn't have everything all ready to go. But when someone mentions that I think if your initial reaction is to be angry and to dismiss them and to just speak in absolutes you a point to the fact that you have no knowledge on what implicit bias is so like and and b I, I just think you need to sort of mm, I'm not gonna say what b is but I'm just gonna sort of <laughs> draw back <laughs> sorry JJ don't want to do that to you uh, uh, it's Ramadan. We're, we're happy here. If we had done this podcast last week prior to Ramadan, you would have gotten a much different Iman. But I just, <laughs> to me, I think it's a, I think it's a different conversation. And I think it's unfair to Kendrick Perkins for us to be having this conversation at him. I think the way that ESPN handled it, where they needed him to make the correction or they needed to make the correction on how many voters are white versus how many voters are black. The fact of the matter is he's spoken hyperboles, but we know what his point is. The media is overwhelmingly white. The players are overwhelmingly black. And the fact of the matter is there are race plays a factor and to pretend it doesn't in a league that needed a dress code to pretend it doesn't like anyone who knows a little bit of history on this league right like why is fighting allowed in hockey but it you absolutely will get suspended and expelled and in trouble for the rest of your life if it happens in basketball we know you can't even chair on the uh, on the bench we'll talk a little bit about that story in a future episode of dishes and knives not the next one but in a future one but like um we know what these sort of histories and these stories are of basketball. And we know what the histories and the stories and the, the current reality of the world is. So to pretend that this doesn't exist, I think is just, I, I think it's lazy. I think it's beyond naive. I, I just think it's like bad. I think it's like, I think you're doing the world a disservice by having conversations where you're shutting down people talking about a serious topic here. And that's not to say that Jokic does not deserve to win. And here's Here's what I'll say in favor of Jokic in this conversation that no one is having. Jokic does not benefit enough from it because he is not even a top 10 jersey sale, okay? We're talking about this man like he is some white American. He is not. Xenophobia is hurting him. This man is not a top 10 jersey sale. Is Is he even a household name? I don't think so. But the fact of the matter is he is not a top 
10 jersey sale. The NBA is not pushing him. Denver Nuggets fans can't even watch him in his own market. Forget the rest of the league watching him. The Denver Nuggets are, are seen as an afterthought. No one is even talking about them as making it out the West, despite the fact that they're the one seed and they already have 50 wins and the rest of the team is at like 38 wins. <laughs> like No one is taking this team seriously. No one seems to be taking him seriously. I really do think that he actually, and I think that this conversation is so nuanced and so layered because it's not as simple as black and white because there are other things that factor into this and Jokic being someone who does not speak English fluently like it is not his native tongue you can hear him speak and tell that he has an accent two he's from another country did not go through the um AAU circuit did not go through NCAA did not come from that he's a second round pick he's overlooked he doesn't have a body size that people think is like a, a, a player he's, he's kind of plays a little bit differently than anything that we've ever seen in the NBA he does not benefit. I mean, he, he obviously benefits from white players, but he does not. Um, there are lots of things that work against him because of the xenophobia that exists in the league. The fact of the matter is all of these factors play into it. The NBA does not exist in a vacuum in the same way that race plays into things. Xenophobia plays into things. That's why people are having the conversation about who the next American MVP is. Joel Embiid is an American citizen, but no one is considering him the next American MVP. They're waiting for a guy like Tatum. Why? Because xenophobia plays as much into this as race plays into it. Yep, Jokic yep. is not sold in the same way as some other guys. And some guys bypass that. I think Doncic is a perfect example of someone who sort of bypassed that. But Jokic is getting a lot of the same treatment that Dirk got early on, which is like, you're soft, you can't really win, can you do it? And xenophobia plays into these talking points. Race plays into these talking points because the NBA does not exist in a vacuum. And as soon as we realize that, we can have real conversations about all of this. And also we can do the inner work to recognize how we play a role in this and how we can get better from this. Because if your first reaction to a Black person bringing up race is to get defensive and say something that the Ben Shapiro's will agree with, you're wrong. You were on the wrong side of it. And that is so frustrating to have to deal with as a Black person to constantly be shut down by the white people who are supposed to be your allies and shut down by the white people who are very clearly not your allies. You can't be on the same side of this. You guys cannot be on the same side of this. Race obviously pays a factor. That does not mean that people are maliciously, are acting in a malicious way. That doesn't mean people are trying to hold a Black man down. That's not what's happening here. What's happening is when the race is so tight, you have Harry Styles beating Beyonce for Grammys. You have Taylor Swift beating Michael <laughs> Jackson for, out, for Artist there of the Year. You have, <laughs> you have some really wild things happening there, right? Like uh, when it's so close, you do have white people constantly winning. It's a trend that happens all the time, right? Like there's that gif of Kerry Washington uh, as Olivia Pope saying that like, she you know, was told that I have to work twice as hard to get half as much. That is the reality of it. That is the mm -hmm. truth that us Black people understand. And we're just pointing that out. And we're just talking about it and exist in the NBA too. Because unless you're LeBron James, unless you were Giannis Antetokounmpo, unless you were head and shoulders better than everybody else, you're probably, if you're neck and neck with them, you you're might be neck, neck with them. But having yep. said that, I don't think Jokic is winning this because of his race. And having said that, I think we cannot talk about Jokic benefiting so you think from having win this. his race. I don't think we can talk about Jokic having benefited from his like race without talking about the drawbacks that he's received because he is um, a uh, European uh, European and not American born and the xenophobia yeah. that exists around there. It, it is That's both fair. things that happen and Americans seem to forget the xenophobic part. Well, you will see they forget the race part and they all matter. Um, do I think Embiid's going to win? I think it all comes down to Monday. I think everything, like it, it's so stupid to say that because I think 
the pushback is there and the pushback was always going to be there. When someone wins two in a row, there's going to be massive pushback. And I think the conversation about race also plays a factor into this. I think the fact that the Nuggets decided to start losing every single game possible besides getting that huge win against the um, Milwaukee Bucks um, plays into it. So it depends. I think Embiid had a monster game against Jokic already this year. I think it comes down to what happens in that game. What do you think? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that game. I I think Jokic should get the MVP if we're assuming that the MVP goes to the best regular season player. Because um, like, if you're going to factor in the playoffs and championships, then there needs to be a separate um yeah, Award let's call it uh, a finals MVP or something crazy like that. Right, right. It's such a um, cool name and you can maybe vote for it after the finals are done and maybe, you know, give it to the best player of like the playoffs at that point. Of the playoffs? Yeah. You know, it's so crazy. Yeah. It, it's, it might work. NBA, it might, write this down. But I, I, I don't think that you should be judging. If you are judging strictly on the regular season, then Jokic wins it. Um. I think there should be a little bit of a pivot here. I don't know if you want to talk, Ja, uh, because we haven't really been able to discuss that situation. We don't have to go in yeah. depth because, you know, the situation we've gone long. is what it is. <laughs> we've gone long. We've <laughs> and we've gone, gone very long. Uh, so we're just going to have a few kind of like uh, points about the Ja situation. Then we're going to keep it pushing, say goodbye to y'all. But uh, I don't know. I've, I've been really sitting with this jaw situation um actually katie has a great uh story that she wrote about it um on basketball feelings um about what it means uh to be forced to have a public atonement when you do Mm. um something uh that the public deems as horrible and i guess brandishing a gun and pistol whipping a 17 year old would be under horrible things to do so i get it um, but I, I, she wrote a great story about that. And I think she had a good point about what it means to have to atone for what you've done publicly. And does that give you the space to actually work on, on um, getting better and being better? Or are you just doing it to appease the public? Um, so check that out, Basketball Feelings. Uh, yeah. The job situation is a little bit... I feel for him, right? He's a 23-year-old coming to yeah. all this money. I'll take the money for you. You need to take I got you. Yeah, you, you want to spend the money on me? I'm cool. But I think we do, I, I do want to give him a little bit of space in the sense that I understand what it means to have outside sources that are influencing you the wrong way. Um, especially when you're in your early 20s, um, he has a big boy job, but he's still a young, a, a young man, right? Um, you have big boy responsibilities being number one option on um, a, a rising team um, and having all those responsibilities that come with it, right? And all those expectations that come with it um, when you're still in the process of figuring out who you are as a man. Um, so I can understand, one, you have power you have money. Um, and right now you're kind of on the top of your career. Like you're, you're, you're probably ahead of the curve in terms of what you're supposed to be. Uh, 
I think he's going to be a fantastic player. And a couple of years from now, if these things that he's doing don't completely take over and he doesn't get himself lost in all the, the BS, um, he's going to have a spectacular career. Um, but I do think he needs time to kind of sit and think about the opportunities that he's worked for and how easily they can be taken away, right? We're, playing in the NBA is a privilege, not a right. And I think some of these players forget that. Like, yeah, it comes with a lot of power. It comes with a lot of money, but it could be taken away just as easily as it's come. And you've worked so hard for it. It's not worth throwing it away to impress whoever is around you or to, <laughs> I, I personally, look, I do think he needs time in rehab to deal with whatever it is that he's dealing with. I do think there's a side of the story where he's not going to be able to, he's not going to be punished or he's not going to deal with the consequences that us regular folks would probably have to deal with if we pistol whipped a 17 year old, right? He's in the NBA. Um, he's one of the faces, the new faces of the NBA. He's going to go away to rehab for a couple of months, come back, um, and his image will be rehabbed because fans are going to give him leeway, right? That's just what comes with being in the position that he's in. Um, but I do hope that people will give him the space to really kind of work on himself, figure himself out, um, give him time to, yeah, to figure things out. And if he comes back and he's still acting a damn fool, then you can you can judge him harshly for that. But I do think he is so young, right? He's still growing into himself. Give him some space to figure it out. Jeff, by any chance you end up listening to this, Please, like, take the rehab seriously. Take care of yourself. Take care of your mental. And be careful who you have around you. It's not worth losing all this stuff that you've worked so hard for all your life. It's just not. Um, also, I just, as a quick side, I just want to say, if some, whoever leaked that picture of him getting a lap dance at the strip club, Y'all need to mind your own business. And that's not good for business either. Cause like that boy could have been a, a customer that comes back frequently and you just lost a really, really rich customer. So that was stupid <laughs> on your part. Shout out to the stripper. Cause the amount of money that was on the floor, that's goals. That's an inspiration. Uh, get your coin. What else did I want to say? Uh, yeah. Uh, ja, get, get better. I hope mentally you get yourself together and you come back next season and um you play as well as you can and uh personally I feel like I know a lot of people are mad at Ja because they're actually really mad at the Grizzlies for being um really loud and in your face and boisterous uh but I like that I I'm really bored with everybody liking each other and everybody being so nice and oh he that that player played so well he's such a great opponent no I want you guys to hate each other so any anytime a, a team wants to be annoyingly like the bad guy and annoy the rest of the league and especially because they're so young so I think it just irks like 
the Golden States and the and the the older teams uh, because they're just like uh, like what are you doing? You're supposed to fall in line. I like I like teams that don't fall in line. I like players that don't fall in line. I like. I, I like the annoyance that you, you can see when they're playing against other teams and they're they're irritating them. So um, I hope the Grizzlies don't lose that. I know uh, there are some racists out there that are, you know, <laughs> stereotyping these kids for being having the audacity to be kind of in your face. Uh, but I, I love it. It's good for the NBA. Get us talking a little bit. So that's all I want to say about the Jaw situation. I hope he gets himself together and... Uh, I hope uh, we we don't hear any more uh, stories about Cha. Me forward. too. I hope I hope he just has the right support around him. Also, like I'm very iffy on understanding how like team doctors work because I do believe that like like I'm glad that teams are taking mental health seriously, and I do believe each team has like a, a, a therapist um like they have a massage therapist they've got the team doctors that check your body and I believe they also have someone for your head as well for your mental health I should say not just your head because that could be anything (laughs) but um I just I'm always a little bit wary about what that means for a player because at the end of the day like I get that there are laws and there are rules and you have to trust and I'm not I'm not ever going to discount the professionalism or the integrity of um, you know, a, a team therapist. Um, but I can understand the reluctance on the players' end too. If I could just think about it from their perspective, would any of us want to talk to a doctor that our team or that our bosses, um, you know, that, that have the same bosses as us? I feel like that would be a little bit iffy for lots of players to do. So I can't like I hope that, you know, it's to me, it's like I always think back to like Kawhi Leonard needing to get his own doctor because he didn't trust what the, the Spurs team doctor was saying, which like also if you remember everything with like Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili then, like maybe you shouldn't have completely trusted the Spurs doctors. So Kawhi Leonard going and finding his own so he can get a second opinion on his end really mattered to him and his career. And that's something that he's been monitoring um since. I think that that's important because at the end of the day, your team doctor <laughs> works for your employees. And so like, and not to say like, I, I'm sure they're great and I'm sure there's a ton of professionalism and I, I, I'm totally fine if that's the doctor that he has. I'm sure he has a great relationship with them too. But like, I can understand why players feel a little bit reluctant. If a player feels reluctant, if they're open to speak to them, great, fine, dandy. But if they're, they're reluctant, I can understand that. I maybe would be reluctant in that situation as well. Like if my, um, if my job is like, hey, yo, um, here's a therapist. I'd be like, oh, no, half of my complaints are about clients. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> um, uh, again, so I, I just would feel a little bit like I would personally feel weary. So I'm just talking about other players are feeling weary, but I hope that he gets the help and the support and has a support system around him that he needs. Um, I think the Players Association does a good job of like making sure that that exists for him. I think people like Jay Williams who want him to be gone for the whole year and like want to have him suspended forever or whatever, like that's so weird. It, it doesn't benefit anyone to just punish people when you think that they need help. If you think that someone needs help, the results being, hey, punish him for the rest of the season to show him who's tough here, that's not great. And like, to me, I just look at someone like Jay Williams or I'm like, you made a really bad decision, like, unfortunately, made a very serious yeah. decision that could have been deadly for you right. in your younger days. And it, like, cost you your ruined career. Your career, and yeah. And that's really, really unfortunate. But another young kid making 
uh, a really re reckless or, you know, whatever disastrous, whatever you think it is, if it didn't hurt them and it didn't hurt anybody else, oh, he pistol-whipped 17-year-olds. Let me take that back. Let me rephrase. Um, <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, 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 allegedly. Um, I just think that there are like different ways that we can go about this. I think punishing people is not the way when you think that they need help. I think there can be punishments that you give out for certain things. I think, you know, I get why people were upset at suspension being, you know, him, him getting time served for his suspension because the NBA just sort of let him come back when it's like, if you're injured, you're not suspended. Like if you can't play, you can't take those as your suspended games because you couldn't play. It's once you're healthy and ready to come back, that's when your suspension begins. I completely understand people bringing that up. I think that that's fair. I don't particularly care either way. I just hope he gets the help that he needs. I hope he has a support system around him that he needs. I think the NBA is better with John Morant. Um, and I hope that like he's good and he's happy and has like good people around him. And he's still young. And like I'm not to say that like we should coddle him or treat him with like you know kid gloves or whatever, but like. I don't know. I just, I just think that like help people and want people to be their best selves and not just always disciplinary and disciplinary and disciplinary. Although stay away from 17 year olds if you're just going to pistol with them. What, what is he doing there? What's happening? Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. What is going on there? Also, guns in America is a little bit of a tricky thing because you have people bringing up the Second Amendment and all this other stuff. Just keep it away. Just keep it away. We saw what happened with Javar Kuntin and Gilbert Arenas. Like, it's not, and uh, granted, he did not bring it on the job. <laughs> but like, you also do not need to be bringing it into a club. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. allegedly. Everybody, just be better. And um, hopefully Ja is better and happier. And the Grizzlies are just fun. And I love that they piss everybody off because like they, they can be in the that warrior sense, which is so funny to me because it's like, at one point, the Warriors were the young, fun team that was pissing everybody off because they didn't understand a quorum. Like, they were the team mm -hmm. that, like, was, was acting a fool a little bit. You had Draymond Green doing the Draymond Green thing, and Stephen Curry hitting a one million footer in someone's face, even though you guys are up by 50 points already in the second quarter. Like, you guys were the team at one point. And now there's another team and maybe this other team is doing it wilder. Maybe they're doing it crazier, but that's just how generations change, right? Like you sound very much like millennials getting mad at Gen Z. Like, let's grow up. Let's move past this. It's fine to have, let the kids be the kids. Let them have fun because it makes basketball fun. I love that team. Having said that, Dylan Brooks, you're giving Dylan Canada Brooks. a bad name. I, I love was it. just Keep about going. to say. But don't, oh don't my hurt God. anybody. Don't worry. I want to punch him. I want like, to punch I him. I love that he's just proving that Canada's not nice. Because Canada's not, not nice. They're not nice. They're not. not nice. It's, it's all, we got to it's the all a front. It's all a front. He, I just said, say he quickly, said mask off. <laughs> he said mask off. You know what? I just want to say quickly, mm -hmm. uh, the NBA even putting out a suspension for Ja is interesting when, you know, somebody, you know, a player beats their girlfriend or, you know, our yeah. word somebody and you know they play the next game it's just interesting the discrepancies and what the nba decides is worth suspending a player for and you know what they decide isn't worth suspending suspending <laughs> a player for i just think it's an interesting discrepancy and maybe uh we should have a conversation about that but i'm just gonna you know we're not gonna get into that because you know yeah, that thumb that down to jonathan majors we hate you and goodbye everybody bye guys
Good night. <laughs>